power of the talic. Somebody suggested that there was a spelling mistake, but it is a real word. <laughs> well, do you remember that um, there was a military campaign called Iraqi uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom? That was in 2003. Um, so what's the purpose of this operation? It's to topple Saddam Hussein in the second Iraqi war. But really, what is the purpose of code names? The purpose of a code name is not to reveal the purpose. So in that sense, Operation Iraqi Freedom just defeated its purpose. Then there is this. You see, in, in, the, in the UK, United Kingdoms, the, the MINDEF, they call it MOD, they use a computer to generate code names. So it's random consonants mixed with vowels, and they come up with TALIC for the same operation in 2003, Operation TALIC. And so people were wondering, is it a spelling mistake? What is this? And some wise crack said that this means tell everyone leave is cancelled. And it's pretty good. And as an ex-intelligence officer myself, uh, this is what we do. It's called an early warning indicator. We actually monitor uh, uh, places where if the whole camp says that leave is cancelled, ah, something is going on. Well, it so happens that the word talic means uh, directed or moving towards some goal or purpose. It means purposeful. I guess for the British as well as for the Americans, Operation Talik or Operation Iraqi Freedom turned out to be quite confused uh, because it started from a very wrong basis, and that is weapons of mass destruction, therefore topple uh, Saddam Hussein. But today we are not talking about that. Today we are talking about biblical felicity or biblical purpose. And this is the fourth in our eighth Eight core curriculum. Uh, next week we take a break and then we'll resume BCM 4B, okay? Building Christ like Maturity, Roots and Wings uh, in, in January. Next week is going to be a very interesting break. Next week is Telugu Sunday, okay? Uh, you know, we've been helping the Telugu Christians, uh, Indian migrant workers. And next week, can I encourage all our sisters to come in sari if you have one? Serious. Come in your, in your sari. And, and I myself will be wearing a kurta. K-U-R-T-A. I didn't know what a kurta was. Singing said, I must wear it. And he even brought a kurta all the way to my house and said, Nah, you got two. You can choose one. Wear it. So I said, Yes, sir. I'm wearing a kurta next week. Um, but for the rest of us who don't have a kurta or a sari, just come in your most colorful uh, shirt or pants. I think that will do, Okay. Now, biblical purpose, what am I called to do? What is my purpose or what is a purpose-driven life? And this has got to come from who am I? Um, the biblical identity that was talked about last week. And so, we are precious children of God, redeemed or bought back. Jesus paid a price with His blood to buy us back to Himself. Therefore, as precious, redeemed, bought back children of God, we have this high spiritual purpose, a biblical purpose that stems from our status as children of God. But what is our natural human tendency? Our natural human tendency as it pertains to purpose was very well summarized by a, a British author. His name is Malcolm Muggeridge. And let me read this out to you. He says, it has become abundantly clear in the second half of the 20th century that Western man has decided to abolish himself. Having wearied of the struggle to be himself, he has created his own boredom out of his own affluence, his own impotence out of his own erotomania, his own vulnerability out of his own strength, himself blowing the trumpet that brings the walls of his own city tumbling down. And having educated himself into imbecility, and polluted and drugged himself into stupefaction, he kills over a weary, battered old Bontosaurus and becomes extinct. Very eloquent way of saying that it's just meaningless. 
is just meaningless. And man has lost his purpose for existence and living. Well, Malcolm Muggeridge, very respected as uh, wise and certainly as eloquent, maybe not wise enough. So let's go to somebody wiser. Let's go to King Solomon in the Bible. And we can find this in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes from verse 8. And I want to read till verse 18 what King Solomon said. He said, All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear is filled of hearing. What has been, or what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, there is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with, with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. So what do you notice about this passage? from a wise person, recorded as scripture, that is so jaded, that life is random, is meaningless, is purposeless. And even when he was driven to pursue wisdom and knowledge, what else do you notice about this, this passage? That there is no mention of God. Because devoid of God, all is meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. And with much wisdom comes even more sorrow. With more knowledge, there is more grief. The more we study, the more we think, the more grief. And there is so much pain and suffering in this world. And therefore, we conclude that there is no God and we die anyway. So we might as well eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's the conclusion. But this is only chapter 1, fortunately. But what enables us to say that suffering is bad? and that pain is bad, and that there is evil in this world. What enables us to distinguish between good and evil? Because if there is no God, there is no moral law, there is no basis to distinguish between good and evil. And so if a young child gets hit by a bus and he dies, it's random, it's okay. It's just a natural order of things. So there is a God, and that's why we can distinguish between good and evil. And then, if there is a God, then how, how do we live life? And, and on what basis do we do the things that we do? Well, we can do the wrong things for the wrong reasons. That's bad. We can do the wrong things for the right reasons. That's still bad. We can do the right things for the wrong reasons. Maybe. And then we can do the right things for the right reasons. So what are the right reasons? What drives our life? What is the purpose? Could it be that we live life for a pleasure-driven life? Because at the end of the day, the person with the most toys wins, as some would say. We live a hedonistic life. John Piper wrote a book some years ago called Don't Waste Your Life. And he tells the story of this couple, a 59-year-old man and a 51-year-old wife who retired and decided to move to Florida, where they live in their big, luxurious uh, uh, boat. And then they will just play all day, and they will collect seashells. You might say, wow, what a life, man. This is the life. This is the good life. And my reason for living, my purpose, is to pursue the good life. The good life means buy good things, have the most goods. That's the pleasure-driven life. 
But John Piper said this. He said, I'll tell you what a tragedy is. I'll show you how to waste a life. He says, picture this couple before Jesus Christ at the great day of judgment. And they will say, look, Lord, see my seashells. That is a tragedy. So it is a wrong question to ask, did you live a good life? The proper question is, did you live a worthwhile life? Or did you live a wasted life? And at the end of our days, lying on our deathbed, we will say, bring me my bank statements. I want to take a last look at them. Or would you say, bring me my seashell, seashell collections. They're so pretty. Or bring me my collection of expensive watches or diamonds or fine wines. I want to take a last sip before I go. So a wasted life. Or is it a pain-driven life? You know, you achieve worldly success because of some pain in your life. And I, I can understand a little bit of this. And I worked very hard as a student and as a young adult because I came from a poor family, a poor background. And nobody is going to look down on a tank. This tank is going to succeed. And I'll show you. That was the pain that drove my life in my earlier days. And there are many of those who go through, for example, the Jewish Holocaust, who ended up very successful because of the pain they carry in their lives. Like this author called Eli Wiesel. Very successful author. And one of his motto is, never forget, uh, never forgive, never forget. Remembering the pain of the Jewish Holocaust all his life. So you can do the right things and achieve fantastic results, but for the wrong reasons. There was even an American pastor who was so pained by 9-11 that he decided to burn Korans. You heard about this guy. Which even led to seven UN people being, being killed in Afghanistan because the Korans uh, were burned. And now I hear he wants to run for president. He may well succeed, you know, in becoming president of the USA. But wrong things, wrong reasons. And very often, pain turns to pride. And that's why you can strive and you can achieve. Pain is not all bad when it can be turned into a sanctified purpose. You might have heard of Lisa Beamer. Lisa Beamer is the wife of Todd Beamer. And this was the guy who stormed the terrorists on board United Airlines 93, the one that crashed into Pennsylvania. And the pain she carried from 9-11. On 9-11 this year, she was invited to uh, Bill Hybels Church, Willow Creek in Chicago. And she said this. She said, our call is not to patriotism or even to a sense of hopefulness as these can easily become self-serving. So that pain turned into patriotism is still not quite it. She said, our call is to Christ-like servanthood for which 9-11 may have prepared us well the pain that turns us Christ-like. That's right reasons, right things, right purpose. And I believe she got her purpose right, even though she carried so much pain. Well, the, the book Roots and Wings that most of us have and are going through tells us that the human weakness as regards to purpose is that we are often steering our lives without a compass. And that results in going along a path that leads to nowhere. And therefore, we need a radical reorientation. And the word radical means roots. We need to go back to the roots to reorientate, reorientate our lives right. And therefore, the purpose-driven life. We need to live a purpose-driven life. And there is a famous book that, uh, that I think many of us would know about. In fact, in the year two, I think, I think 2004, we did a series of sermons and everybody went through that book, Purpose Driven. But what, is, what are the first words in that book? It says, it is not about you. It is not about us. So what is it about? We've got to start at the right place. And the right place is God. In the beginning, there was God. And God created us for a purpose. What is the first thing you know about God? What defines God? God is love. And so He created us in love, to love, and to have a mutual love relationship. That is the purpose. So life is about loving, to love God and to love men. Life is for forever. Life is for forever. 
Okay, I'm not stammering here, even though sometimes I do. Life is for forever. Life is for eternity. He created us for eternity. And so Ecclesiastes 1 is kind of jaded and hopeless and random and meaningless. But when it comes to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, King Solomon says, God has put eternity in our hearts. It's got to be. You look at somebody at a cascade, you walk around a cascade and you pay your last respects. Is that the end of it all? Cannot be. Cannot be. Life is for eternity. Eternity means eternal. No end. So our purpose for living has no end. Okay, it ends with our earthly death, but we carry on for eternity. So the, the purpose for living has no end. And therefore, I think we sometimes have a wrong understanding of talent, a wrong understanding of purpose. In my earlier days, I thought that my life must be purposeful. Therefore, I must aim for an end point, and the higher the end point, the better. So when I got into the Air Force, my aim? Chief of Air Force, two-star general. Never made it. When I got into working in business, my aim is to replace my boss, to be the CEO of a publicly listed company and uh, hope that he retires quickly, that he can take over. Never made it. As though that was the end point, and that's your purpose for living, there must be some end point. I think it's not. I think it's not. You know, Rick Warren, the guy who wrote The Purpose Driven Life, he says of his life verse. Let me share with you his life verse. He says his life verse is Acts chapter 7, uh, 13, verse 36. It says, For when David, King David, had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. It's a very strange life verse. Of course, the, the word purpose is there, and it's good that it talks about God's purpose, but why body decay and rot and stink? Well, David didn't start out with that purposeful aim in life as a young man. He said, ah, my aim, my purpose in life is to be king of Israel. He didn't. But why talk about this body that decayed and stink? Okay, the Bible says decayed, but I, 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 I added stink. Huh? Because this is just the earthly part. This is just the earthly part. King David lives on, lives on for eternity. Although he didn't start out so purposefully, to be king. In fact, he started out highly disadvantaged. Can you imagine your father forgetting about you and left you somewhere in the wilderness looking after sheep and sent all your big brothers to be looked upon to the headhunter, uh, Prophet Samuel, and say, hey, this one can be king, this one can be king, and forgot about you? And I believe he was really forsaken by his parents because in Psalm 27 verse 10, he says, though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. So he started out with a lot of pain in his life, forsaken by his parents. But he did well in life. And he entered eternity with God. Joseph from Genesis had the same problem. He didn't set out as a young man and say, I am going to be prime minister of Egypt. That's my purpose in life. Didn't. And Joseph should have been an emotional basket case, given all the things that that he suffered, he would have been the best case study for psychiatrists and psychologists. But he handled his pain well. In fact, he had his pain sanctified. He did well in life and he entered eternity with God. You know, many Christians, when we pray, we say, God, I want to do great things for you. I pray for, for Pastor Chiming that he will do great things for God. It's a good prayer, but I think it's, it's somewhat incomplete. Of course, we all desire for a successful ministry. And when we think of successful ministry, we think of a large cell group. We think of a big church. Uh, success in life, uh, we think of a big bank account. And I hear, even though I wasn't here last week, but I remember Vincent said that he had a health, healthy <laughs> bank account, right? I always remember that. And as though God's purpose for us is a product, is an end, is a great thing. But it's not. God's purpose for us is a great process. Because the process is the product. The process is the purpose. And that is the purpose-driven life. It is a process-driven life. It is a process of loving God continually all the way 
to eternity. It's a process of developing this relationship with a heavenly Father that will last for all eternity. It's a process of becoming Christ-like in our relationship with our neighbor, loving our neighbor as ourselves. And while on earth, we will come across many, many crossroads in life where we are faced then with choices. What do we do? We seek God, we hear from Him, we discern His will, and we choose to follow Him. One crossroad after another. One choice after another. One act of dying to self, counting the cost, and carrying the cross. That's our decision-making process at every crossroad that we come across uh, in life. We know this from King David. King David, if you, if you read through Samuel, how many times did he say, King David sought the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. That's what we need to do. In the earlier part of this year, we had the sermon series and the Bible study series, The Power of a Whisper. That is what we, we, how to live life. Is that, it is that process of continually seeking God, hearing from Him, and obeying Him. You start the day with Him, you commit your day to Him, and God, help me through today. Help me to make good decisions, right decisions, right actions, driven by right purposes and right reasons. And we pray for strength to, to obey. Well, we all have eternity to live. We all have eternity to live in the presence of God. We will live the eternal life. So let me suggest that we spend, spend our earthly life. And let me suggest that the purpose-driven life is to spend it all. Spend it all. It's like the lawyer who was going to read out the will of a rich man before a group of very eager descendants waiting to inherit stuff. And he read, so and so being of sound mind and body, he spent it all. Nothing left. He spent it all. Something like that. In Isaiah chapter 58, verse 10, spend, spend yourself. Let me read from verse 10 onwards. It says, If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your, your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. So I want to talk to you about the process of spending yourselves, which is the purpose why God has made us. I want to talk about spending your time, your talent, and your treasures. Why? Because of Galatians 2.20. When Paul was able to say, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That was the driving force in his life because of Jesus. Out of a sense of gratitude for Jesus, not, not as a performance to attain a position, not to earn favor from God, but to return the favor and the grace of God. C.T. Studd, one of the most famous uh, missionaries who went to China, India, and Africa, said this, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice, no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for Him. So time. Why don't you spend your time where the process of spending your time is the product and the process of spending your time is your purpose. So don't wait to, and, and don't say like, wait till I graduate. Then I will serve God. Then I will spend time for God. Because now my time is very precious. Don't, for some of us who are older, don't wait till you retire to say, oh, then I will have time for God. And, and, and don't say, wait till I marry. You know, together, husband and wife, oh, I don't need to spend time dating. Now I got more time. Don't wait until, now I'm busy, wait till I'm freer. Don't do that. For some of us, see that 
for me, more than half is gone. Okay? I'm, next week, end of this week, I'm 53. Unless I live to 106, more than half is already gone. If I live another 35 years, uh, which means I will live till I'm 88, uh, a good, nice Chinese round number, okay? I will have 35 years left. And 35 years is more than 12,000 days or so, I think. But it's not. You minus the seven or eight hours that I sleep, you minus the time that I eat, minus the time that I take a shower and do other things, I have only 500 days left. 500 effective days left. So how do I spend these 500 effective days? For you, it may be 1,000 if you've got 70 years more, more to live. And so in the process of graduating or studying towards graduation, in the process of retiring, in the process of getting married, spend the time. How? I think one of the most important things is to know God and you know God through His Word. Spend the time, seek God, study God's Word, learn to hear His voice. For me, I know that I need a disciplined time of, of study. So very, very young, I decided that I decided to enroll in a distance learning course uh, of uh, Bible study. Nine years later, I, when I enrolled in a course, it, it was without purpose. Okay? It was just a process of studying the Bible. I did not aim to get a degree. I did not aim for anything. Nine years later, I got a degree. BA in theology. So great. Still young at that time, about in my late 30s, I thought, hey, I need to carry on. And if I don't enroll in something, I'm going to be wasting my time. So I enrolled in another school, this one in Singapore called the Biblical Graduate School of Theology, BGST. 11 years later, this May, I graduated. Again, when I started 11 years ago, it was not for the purpose of graduating or not for the purpose of getting a master's. In fact, they keep asking me to graduate and I say, no, no, no. I will only take the courses that I find uh, important to me. But 11 years later, I graduated last May. Last May. Cum laude, okay. I, I want to tell you this. Uh, Yala is boasting. Uh, okay. But I want you to be proud. I want you to be proud of a pastor in PPH. Uh, okay. And I even got a prize in applied theology. I think they gave me 300 bucks. But I did not do so well in theoretical theology. I got a C in postmodernism, whatever that means. And I got a B in biblical theology. But for all things practical and applied, I got A's. So, practical is okay with me. So, so many of you are young. You get started. Get started. It might take you 11 years, but so what? So what? Get started. Who knows? 11 years later, God calls you to be pastor. You know, and then, hey, I got a degree, man. Or to spend the time with, with the needy, those who are troubled. And very often, I get calls from friends who know that I'm a pastor, not even from PPH, and they'll say, hey, can you spend time? Can you help this couple and all that? And, oh, it's a difficult decision to make. Recently, I had one. Um, because I know my focus must be on PPH. But more often than not, I'll just say yes. And, and it's quite scary because troubled people means a lot of time that you need to spend. And, and I was sharing at a marriage weekend, you know, I it's got 10 SMS within the same, like, 10 minutes. You know, then I reply one time, okay, I'll pray for you. And then, ta -ta -ta -ta, another five, six SMS, and then I reply again. And that kind of thing. But, but I think spend, spend that time. It's worth it. It's, you don't have to do a lot, okay? But it still takes time. Spend it. Spend it to help others. So that's time. How about talent? What are talents? Talents are your skill, your ability, your experience, the training you have, the gifts that God has given to you. 1 Peter 4.10 says, each one of you should use whatever gift, use whatever talent, whatever skill, whatever experience, whatever ability, whatever gifts God has given to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in His various forms. Your talents are God's grace to you. The process is the product. The process is the purpose. Are you gifted in children's work? Go serve the children. Are you gifted in graphic design? Come help us 
to design brochures and flyers. This is something very needy here. Are you gifted in music? Surf. And I was so happy this morning to see a young married couple. Uh, I just sent him an SMS, how about serving now? And they say yes. And they came back to surf. Once a drummer, another keyboardist. Uh, just made my day today to see them in, in service. And here I want to digress a little bit. Nah? Because there is a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5, that a lot of young married couples cling on to. It says, If a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. Cling on, man. I said, no, no. What, what I call this is selective doctrinization. You take this one verse and you make it into a doctrine that, uh, oh, married, stop serving. If you really take this verse, uh, then go a few verses earlier. It says, you stone a disobedient son to death. So why, don't, why don't we make a doctrine out of that? That any disobedient sons among us are uh, stoned to death. But why do we hold on to this verse like that? The principle, I believe, yes, of course, you know, you should spend time with your young wife and all that, but it's not to be applied like that. So I'm just so glad that, uh, that this young couple decided to serve soon after marriage. And we have a young, a couple, several young couples here also serving straight after marriage. Thank you. Spending your talents. Can you talk? I think all of us can talk. Can you read? I think all of us here can read. Can you make pancakes? Some of us here can make pancakes. If you can, you can surf. You can spend it. You can spend it. I want to tell you the story of Ashley, Ashley Smith. She was 26 years old then. And this guy, Brian Nichols, escaped from a courthouse, killed four people, injured a fifth, and went into Ashley Smith's house and took her captive. What did she do? She talked to him. What did she do? She was at that time going through the Purpose Driven Life book at chapter 32. She read chapter 32 to Brian Nichols. What did she do? Brian Nichols was hungry. She made pancakes for him for breakfast. And she served this man who took her captive. And she managed to talk him to surrendering himself, talk him even to asking for forgiveness for the people he has killed and for taking her captive. So if you can talk, you can read, you can make pancakes, you can serve. You can spend it all serving. What other talents do you have? Can you wake up early? Maybe that's a talent. I have this talent. I'm a natural early riser. You know, like, I don't need the alarm clock. By 6 o'clock or 6.30, I'm wide awake. My wife says it's not a talent. My wife says it's a curse. Especially for tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow I'll be awake at 6 o'clock. Okay, tomorrow is public holiday. She doesn't like that. So what do I do with this talent? I think I can spend it. I can spend it. On the second Saturday of every month is our men's network meeting. We begin here at 7 o'clock. I'll be here to open the gate and open the door. Simple thing. So if you have this gift, maybe you can take over from me. Okay. I'll pass this responsibility to you. Spending your talents. And lastly and thirdly, spending your treasures. The process is the product. The process of how you spend your, your treasures is the product. The process of how you spend your treasures is the purpose. Do you believe that you can sign an IOU to God? That means you say, I owe God. You know, I tried it. It doesn't work. Years ago, 1986, I remember buying my, my home, the, the one that I'm living in. And at that time, I was in the Air Force, civil service, iron rice bowl. But cash flow was very tight uh, by committing on that home with the down payment and everything. So I was thinking, and I told this to a friend, that why don't I write God an IOU? Okay, I know, I believe in, and I practice tithing. Okay, but for this season, cash flow is tight. Can I just give 5% and I write God an IOU of the other 5%? When I get promoted to colonel, okay, then I'll get the money and I'll return God. God, you want interest? 15% also can give you. Okay, and I will just IOU, IOU until that time when I get promoted and I will return it all at one go. And then my friend scolded me. He said, how can you even think about such a thing, you know? 
the tithing is a process. You give. If you cannot give when you're poor, you will surely cannot give when you're rich. Because now, if your salary is 1,000, you give 100, it's like, wow, 100. But if your salary is 10,000, wow, $1,000 to give away, no way. It really doesn't work. And so I was very chided and I decided, continue giving. Even when I was jobless, continue giving as though I had a job and as though I had a salary. And God has blessed me all these years. Matthew chapter 5, verse 42 says, Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Just give. Spend it. Spend your treasures. Later on, when you go to Hawker Centre for, for lunch, if some old woman comes and asks you to buy tissue paper, buy! Buy! Seriously! Even though it's expensive. And then you turn around and she drives away in a Mercedes. Then you have a good laugh. That will be your joke for the day. You are the joke. But really, just spend it. Spend it. You know, recently I even spent somebody else's money. There was a, a family from Teban Gardens that we've been helping. And when I visited the father who was in hospital, dirt poor, I saw the daughter, teenage daughter in, uh, in the poly, and I saw that her teeth was horrible. Her front two teeth was bent in like that. Very pretty girl, but the front two teeth was bent in like that. I said, poor thing, next time when you go, she goes for interviews and all that, nah, she may have problems getting, getting a job and of course for her self-esteem, already dirt poor. Then I thought of my friend who was a dentist. And I thought, should I refer her to him? I thought a very long time because I think that brace job is probably $5,000. If I ask this friend of mine to treat her, to be fair, I should give him $5,000, right? I mean, not fair uh, to, to ask her the treat. I thought for a long, very long time. In the end, I said, spend his money. I said, friend, can you treat this Teban Garden girl uh, who's very poor and we are supporting her in other ways for free? She said, he said, yes. I said, Ooh, I don't have to give him $5,000. So I even spent his money. And, and this, just this morning, I got an SMS from us. Thank you so much, you know. I just now have my braces. You've got to remove her wisdom teeth before they can do this and that and that. So oh, it just gave me so much joy to spending his money. <laughs> so spend it. Spend it. In the year 1993, I went to... Uh, I was introduced to Kresge Hall. K-R-E-S-G-E. It's in Harvard Business School. So I went there for a very short course. And, you know, this Kresge Hall became like a curse word, you know. Oh no, no, I'm not going to Kresge Hall. You know, Kresge Hall is a dining hall where you know, my company paid for me to go there. They paid all my fees, which included all the food. And, um, and I thought it was really good food. You, know? you can eat as much as you like, anything you like. It's all paid for already. Just go there and take. But you get this snobbish attitude. It's like people say, hey, I'm not taking McDonald's. You go to McDonald's. No, I'm not McDonald's. And that's what they say about Kresge Hall. Um, you know, American sandwiches is well, a lot of crossroads, you know. You go and buy an American sandwich, huh? you enter many crossroads in life. First they ask you what kind of bread, then they ask you what kind of toppings, then what kind of fillings, then you want salt, you want pepper. So many decisions to make. And you end up with this beautiful, big American uh, sandwich, huh? which the, the British, like, they couldn't believe their eyes when they went there. You know the British sandwich you buy from British Rail, on, on a train, it's like one slice of processed cheese and one slice of very thin ham and, and that, they call it a sandwich. The Americans do not call that sandwich. Okay? But, but this is crazy. I decided to find out what is Kresge? What is Kresge? Kresge began with Sebastian Sperring Kresge. He was born in 1867 in Pennsylvania and he started a business called the 5-cent business and the 10-cent business. You know, it's like going to Daiso, everything $2, okay? In, the, in, in his time, everything in his shop was five cents only. That's how he started. And it grew and grew and grew until it became Kmart, okay? For those of you who know, Kmart was the biggest thing in America until Walmart came about. Big hypermarket chain. And as, as Kresge says, I can get a greater thrill out of serving than anything else on earth. 
that's his life motto. He loves to serve and he was a great philanthropist. When he died in 1966, he has given away 90% of his wealth. He still has 10%. 10% is a lot, okay? But imagine giving away 90% of your wealth to the S.S. Kresge Foundation, which subsequently built Kresge Hall in Harvard Business School. And that was him. Spend it all. Yeah, spend 90%. Spend it all. And his son, Stanley Kresge, who took over the foundation from him and took over the business, can say things like this. The world will not be greatly improved until and unless the teachings, the experiences, and the spirit of Jesus Christ are more fully understood and applied in our lives and promoted throughout the land. So what did he give his son? That 10% or a heritage like this? Serving Jesus. I think that heritage is way, way, way more precious than the 10% of his remaining wealth that he gave his son. And it is said that this son, Stanley, consistently followed the ways of his father, giving, giving, giving. And he says that all his check payments and, and charity contributions were signed this way, in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, comma, Stanley Kresge. What a great legacy to leave behind to the son. Spend, spend, give, give. I know it's not easy to give because giving must be intentional. Right? You don't just walk along the street and you give and you give. Except tissue paper you can buy. Huh? But you need to be intentional. intentional. You need to, to do a bit of hard work, to do a bit of research. You know? Some weeks ago, I asked, uh, maybe not at this service, but at the first service, I said, we want to, we want to sponsor another 30 children in, in Batam through school. And I have to say, I was somewhat disappointed that I did not reach the 30 figure. I, and, and I think maybe I went a bit overboard. Like I said, hey, come on, one child to school is only $15 a month, $180 a year. Sponsor 10 at one go. Maybe that's why there was no response, huh? or, or insufficient response. So let me get back to one. One child, $15 a month, $180 a year. Sponsor that one child to school. And... Uh, I've just spoken to Sarah last week. We wanted to arrange a sponsor's day trip to go and visit the child, go and hug the child that you sponsor, buy him or her another gift, and just uh, have, the, have that joy. Uh, it will now be on the 4th of February. 4th of February is Prophet Muhammad's birthday. It's a public holiday, so the children are not going to school on a, on a Saturday. Okay? So we'll arrange, go to Batam, uh, go and distribute some food, Meet your child, take photos with him or her, sayang sayang, and buy a gift. And I think we are thinking like we just have set the limit to the gift, okay? Not more than twenty dollars, and buy a gift and see the child's face light up. That will make your day. Then you come back very tired, but very happy on Saturday night. Next morning you come to church, okay? Sharp on time, nine o'clock or eleven fifteen. Spend, spend. Why? Because he loves. Because he loves. I serve because he loves. I spend and I spend to love. A man uh, suggested to me that I need to put up a banner in, in this church. You know? The banner is when you walk into this room, it says, enter to worship. And when you leave this room, there will be, there will be a banner there that says, depart to serve. Pretty good, huh? Enter to worship, depart to serve. But I decided not to do it. Because the word serve and worship is the same word in Hebrew, abad. It's the same word. You come here to worship is to serve. You go out to serve is to worship God. It's the same word. And so would you spend it all? Spend your time, spend your talent, spend your, your treasures. It's part of worship of God which you will do for all eternity. And it starts here. Why do we want to spend it all? time, talent, and treasures, because he gave his all. Because he gave his all. You know, even, very often I think it's hard to appreciate, you know, even with the communion, that yeah, Jesus shed his blood, his body was broken for us. Hard to appreciate 
someone, oh, because Jesus died for me, therefore I serve him, I spend my all, I give my time, my talent, my, my treasures. Sometimes it's very hard to appreciate. Unless one of you has the experience huh, of, of uh, like you were walking in front of a bus and somebody came out and pushed you away and then he got hit by the bus. Ah, then you know that somebody sacrificed his life for me. Unless one of you have it. Anybody? Then it's kind of hard to experience, experience, uh, yeah, appreciate, right? But really, that's what Jesus died for us. That's what it is. And, you know, God, the easiest thing for God to do would have been just give up. Lah. Give up on you. Because you guys, uh, you fail time and time again, man. And no matter how much grace and love I pour out on you, you still fail. You know? Give up. And I can offer a very imperfect personal parallel uh, to this. Huh? God should have given up on us, but He did not. In fact, He paid even more. I come from a very poor uh, family. When I was born, I was to be given away, but nobody wanted. Maybe I was not maybe. Like, definitely I was not cute enough. Otherwise, oh, cute baby, take, you know, take home. So nobody wanted. So my father decided to keep me. And I was, uh, and so that's why I'm a tank. I could have ended up with some other surname. So I'm a tank and I'm a child of a tank. And I remember my mom telling me how hard my father worked to feed us in, in the early days. And he had come home with bloodied shoulders because he was carrying heavy metal things as a second job uh, uh, to to feed the family with bloody shoulders in the night. He worked two jobs all the way until I graduated from university. And I went to his second employer and said, okay, now he can stop working for you because I've graduated and I've got some money. Thank you very much for giving him the second job. And I would give my time, my talents and my treasures to my earthly father. Even when I was jobless, I continued to give him the money. But what about my heavenly father who not just had bloodied shoulders but a bloodied body? Bloodied hands, bloodied side, bloodied feet, bloodied head and bloodied back. What about that? The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. An imperfect parallel but I hope you get to appreciate that. The life I now live, I live in gratitude to my earthly father who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I will gladly give of my time, my talent and my treasures to honour him who not just had bloodied shoulders. I will spend my time, my talent and my treasures for the Son of God who loved me and had his whole body Let's just bow our heads and have a time of quiet. Let me invite the musicians to come up. It's to serve is to love. On earth, we have this limited time, limited talents, and limited treasures. Why don't we spend it all on earth? Because after our death, we have an eternity with God still in worship. But our worship now is to serve, is to spend. Spend it all. Why? Because of the one who's, who had thorns piercing his head for us. Because of the one whose nails punch through his wrists and his feet because of him who sacrificed and who had a spear to his side, who had metal who had metal spikes on the end of a whip that scourged his body for us. And more than the physical pain was the spiritual pain of having our sins nailed to his body and taking our sins and descending to hell with it. That's why we serve. That is our purpose the process of loving God in return for His love for us.
So we run to Him. Run to Him. Because He's called us to this purpose. A purposeful life of love. Would you run and run to Him? Let's rise as we sing this song together. God's eye is on a sparrow, on us too. Your eye is on the sparrow. Your hand it comforts me from the ends of the earth to the depths of my heart. Let your mercy and strength. Be seen, call me to your purpose, as angels understand, for your glory, may you draw to the altar if you would like to spend it you may not even know now how you want to spend it but it is a commitment that we make before God yes God I want to spend it all for you spending my time spending all the talents that you've given to me spending all the treasures that you have blessed me with to love to serve Make that pledge before the Lord. Make that commitment before the Lord. Because His love and His grace demands it. Can we make a pledge before God that comes out of our biblical identity into a biblical purpose? That because I am a precious child, of God. I am a precious child of a loving Heavenly Father. I can now pledge to spend. Spend my time and you can fill in the blanks. Or you can ask God to help you fill in the blanks. What do you want to spend your time on? Because I am a precious child of God, I am a precious child of a loving Heavenly Father. I pledge 
to spend my talents to serve and to love because I am a precious child of God a precious child of a loving heavenly father I pledge to spend my treasures to love and to serve and like Stanley Kresge we sign it off in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ and then your name let's make that pledge before the Lord today make it public even as we come to the altar to surrender our, our all to Him our time, our talents our treasures why? because of who we are because of who He is and whose we are precious children of God Would you come then? Would you come to such a loving Heavenly Father? There may be some here who have never or not yet made that commitment to say, yes, I want to be that child. I want to receive that offer of family rights to become a child of God, to believe in Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. Today is the day. Would you surrender your life to him? Would you say, you are my master, you are my Lord, you're the one who died on the cross for me, and I hand over my life to you. Thank you for taking all my sins upon that cross and, and bringing it all the way to hell for me. Thank you for cleansing me. Would you do that today? And come also. As we come to the front, we pray one with another. We seal all these commitments. We seal these kind of pledges before the Lord and see if God will give you the strength and the grace to make it happen. Spending time, talent, and treasures to love and to serve. Let me now close in prayer. The time is still open for the altar. We can come forward. We can pray with one another. We can seal these pledges before the Lord today. Father, I thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love for us. Something so amazing, even unreal, Lord, that you should die on a cross for me, for all of us, for which it would be much easier to just say, disown them, forget about them. But not you not a loving Heavenly Father who came as Jesus to love us and to die for us, to run in front of a bus for us, to bloody His shoulders and His hands and His feet and His head and His back, His whole body for us. We say thank you. Would you now, Lord, help us to, to love you in return? to love by serving and to love by spending. Spend it all, Lord. Help me to spend in this earthly life all my time, all my talents, all my treasures. To spend it all to love and to serve. Thank you, Lord. We take by faith, we know by faith that it is a prayer that you will surely answer. It will bring pleasure to a loving Heavenly Father's heart to know that here on earth we want to spend it all out of gratitude to you to love and to serve others. So thank you, our Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And I will run to you to your
Fear. 